And I thank the Lord for that good music and especially for that bird song that was sung a while ago. You know, I'm a bird watcher. That's my hobby. And this lady sang a song about a sparrow. And uh, I like that one. Uh, I've got a little sermon on that. If you fool with me, I'll preach it tonight. <laughs> but I think I'm on. But uh, did you ever check on what the Bible says about sparrows? Ain't so much in the Bible folks don't see. Jesus said uh, uh, two sparrows are sold for one farthing and five sparrows for two farthings. So if you buy, if you spend five farthings, you get an odd sparrow. You get an extra one. That's a pretty good bargain, I mean, in a way, but sparrows are not much of a bargain anyway. But Jesus went on to say that God is the God of the odd and sparrow. Insignificant folks. But he loves them too, and they don't fall to the earth without his notice. Then there's not only the odd sparrow, there's a lonely sparrow in the Bible. I am alone like a sparrow on the housetop. That's terrific. And then there's the sparrow that builds in the temple. It builds its nest in the temple of God over there in the song. And I tell the folks that you're never going to get rested till you get nested. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When you build your nest, then you get rested. A lot of folks wonder why they don't have any rest and peace. They never have built their nest yet. You know, Sidney Lanier, the great poet, I'll build me a nest on the greatness of God. Down Brunswick, Georgia, near that place where he wrote those marvelous poems. Uh, down there, so close to the marshes of Glen, I'll build me a nest on the goodness and on the greatness of God. Uh, there are any number of different kinds of sparrows. The one we see so much is the English sparrow, the town sparrow, and he can't sing. He's lived in town too long. Can't sing. But the ones out in the country can. The song sparrow sings all the year round. White-throated sparrow. Somebody has said that the first notes of the white-throated sparrow, if you turn them up several octaves, would be like the first notes of the wedding march, and that's quite true, very interesting. And then the tree sparrow, my favorite, the field sparrow. I grew up out in the country, and as a boy, I had to hold corn and cotton and what have you in our little place. And in the summertime, it got powerful hot down there in a creek bottom, no air. And every other bird shut up singing, they just gave up. Couldn't hear any mocking birds, they couldn't take it. But there's one little rascal saying all day long, as that field sparrow. I got to love that thing because anybody could sing in that heat ought to have a gold medal. So, this is all about sparrows in the Bible. Now, I didn't mean to preach that sermon. You get a free one, you see, they're not extras. But I want to talk with you about a most serious matter, beloved. How close can you get to Jesus and miss him? not far from the kingdom. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than thee. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is but one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions, not in the originally, it's in italics. Nobody had any questions after that. Mm, I'd do to stop with. One of the most frightening possibilities in this world is that one may almost get through to Jesus Christ, but not quite. Almost inside the kingdom of God, but still outside. And a miss is as bad as a mile. So near and yet so far. Now this scribe agreed with Jesus on the two greatest commandments. They were together on that. And he would have agreed with Samuel over there in 1 Samuel to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the feather ram. And he was like the rich young ruler who had kept the commandments but would not sell out to Jesus. And he agreed that the greatest thing in the world is love. And love has its place. But... Agreeing on love is not enough. We've got a lot of folks, they say, just preach love and everything will take care of itself. All you have to do is preach love. Uh, but he won't. If love's all you need, why didn't Paul start off with love in 1 Corinthians? He waited until he got to the 13th chapter before he ever got around to it. Because there was sin in the church. People were living all kinds of lives in the church. And he, he could have said, well, we've got a lot of good people, and I'm not going to name anything, so I'm going to get around to love. He worked that crowd that were creating disorders at the Lord's table. That man was living with the wrong woman, and those that were going to law and all the rest, and then he gets around to love. So things must be kept in the place. We must forget that Jesus came to this world, not just to preach love or the Sermon on the Mount or the Golden River. He came to do something about sin. Sin's our trouble came to save his people from their sin. One of England's best-known preachers got out a book two years ago in which he said that Jesus did not originally come to die on the cross. He came to start a movement, and when that movement failed, then he had to die because he, there wasn't anything else he could do. And a lot of people think that's a great book, and it's been distributed a great deal, but all the way through the Old Testament in the prophecies and in the sacrifices and certainly in the words of Jesus who kept talking about mine hour has not yet come, mine hour has not yet come. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be with sin. 
So you can't get around the sin question. A man may be near the kingdom of God and never get in. This man was. In the last few months I read my morning devotions from a great old saint of the 16th century, Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scotsman and a great saint. And he wrote in that old idiom that they had to have footnotes down at the bottom of the page to know what some of those words meant, but it is well worth wading through. Oh, what a book. He said, listen to this, you many go far and reform many things and find his as Esau did. And you can suffer hunger for the truth like Judas did. And wish and desire the end of the righteous as Balaam did. And profess, fair and fight for the Lord as Saul did. And desire the saints of God to pray for them like Pharaoh and Simon Magus did. And prophesy and speak of Christ as Caiaphas did. And walk softly and mourn for fear of judgment as Ahab did. And put away gross sins and idolatry as Jehu did. And hear the word of God gladly and reform your life according to the word as Herod did. And say to Christ, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest as the man who offered to be Christ's servant did. And you may taste of the virtues of the life to come and be a partaker of the gifts of the Holy Ghost and taste of the good word of God as did the apostates who sinned against the Holy Ghost in Hebrews 6. And yet always, are like gold and clink and color and watered brass and base metal. These are written that we should try ourselves, not rest, till we be nearer Christ than sunburns and withering professors can come. That's terrific. I never heard of such a list of folks that were a lot better than most folks today and yet missed it. And the next to the last sentence, I believe, in that immortal book, Pilgrim's Progress, that has lasted these centuries, says, and I perceive that, that a man can go to hell from the gates of heaven. Telling there of Mr. Ignorance, who seemed to have a lot of good points, but he didn't get in. You read that over in Second Samuel about Absalom, that handsome, rebellious son of David, it says he dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. You can live in the church and be with Christian people and mix and mingle with them and do religious work and never see Jesus. And you read that when old Elijah was going to be taken to heaven, went to heaven in the whirlwind, you know, what a man. And the seminary students at the Jericho Theological Seminary were standing alongside the road as he went along. And it said they stood to view afar off. They didn't get in on it. And the Emmaus disciples, as they walked along, said, some went back to the sepulchre and found it as the women had said, but him they saw not. They missed Jesus. And when Paul was converted and they that were with him saw the light and heard not the voice of him that You've got to be more than in the neighborhood of a miracle. That won't be a miracle for you. It takes more than proximity, nearness, to get in on the choicest things. You can be as near as this scribe uh, and Mr. King. 
You can be as close to Jesus as the Scripture. John 5.39 does not say, really, search the Scripture. It's not a commandment in the original. He said, the trouble with you is you do read the Bible. You do search the Scriptures. You were talking to folks who did. And you will not come unto me that you might have life. Now, that's a shocker. The worst enemies that Jesus had on earth were Bible students who went to the church and prayed in public and all of them tithers and lived clean lives and tried to win other people and went to hell. He said, you, he said, you read the scriptures and they are they that testify. But while humble souls who knew nothing about theology like that poor sick woman dying who pressed through the crowd and church and they got through out of sheer desperation, didn't have the benefit of libraries and scholars while these got three students of the Old Testament searched the scriptures about the Messiah and thought they were experts on him, didn't even know him when he came. Now, it's a good thing to search the scriptures, for they testify of it, but it's possible to study the scriptures about Christ and never know the Christ of the scriptures. Christian experience begins with the word of God. I was with a group one time up in Boston, I believe, that emphasized this point, said, when you're dealing with prospects, don't read, don't read the Bible and preach to them. Tell them your experience. Well, now, that sounds good, but that's not the way the Bible says. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want to start off with that. You can get as close to Jesus as sound doctrine and believe it and never meet him. John 11, Jesus got down to Bethany after Lazarus had died. Poor old Martha was out of sorts, and she said if he'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, he arrives at the resurrection. She said, I know he will. She was a good fundamentalist, but she was miserable. We've got some fundamentalists today that believe all that, but they're not happy. Because she hadn't made it personal, Jesus said, and the resurrection is not a doctrine. I am the resurrection. Let's make it personal. And then she got around to that finally because she started off with a proposition in verses 23 and 24. Yes, I know we rise in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. But in verse 27, she recognized the fact that he was what he claimed to be. You've got to make this thing personal. You say, I'm a believer in the truth. Well, truth's an abstraction that way. But he said, I am the truth. You say, well, I'm a follower of the way. Yes, but he said, I am the way. You say, I've got a new life. But he said, I'm the life. You talk about the victorious life. Well, the victorious life is just more Jesus and less of you. So he brought Martha through to him, you see. Oh, Dr. Dale, one of England's great preachers, was sitting in his study one morning studying the resurrection. He'd studied it many, many times. That morning it got him. It grabbed him. He rose up and left his Bible, and they tell me he walked up and down the street saying, He's alive! He's alive! You see, it turned into something personal. I grew up as a boy saturated with the Scriptures. I read through the New Testament several times before I was ten and prepared some little sermons at nine and was licensed at twelve and ordained at fifteen. But there came a day 
when I had to back myself into a corner and say, Now, hey, is all this real to you? Or is it a language without life? Have you got a head full of scriptures and you can recite it like a parrot? But is it a reality in the heart? Do you have an experience or are you putting on a performance? It has been said, there is nothing more dangerous to a genuine experience of Christ than a superficial acquaintance with the language of Christianity from childhood. That sounds like a pretty rough thing to say, but it's dangerous. I'm glad I grew up in a Christian home, was fed on the scripture, but it's dangerous because you hear it so much. If you think because you know the language, you've got the life. You can have a head full of scripture and a heart full of sin. And you can get a string of medals for memorizing scripture, but and we ought to memorize it. I don't know how they're going to memorize it today, how you have classes memorizing when you've got 14 different translations and 50 of them. Everyone get a different one. You'd have pandemonium, everybody trying to decide. I don't know how they do that. I've been worried about that, but I haven't figured it out yet. Well, knowing the Bible by heart doesn't mean memorizing it. It's all right to memorize it, but knowing it by heart means thy word a great possession. Have I hid in my heart a great place, and I might not sin against thee a great purpose. That's what it means. It's a great thing to search the scriptures, but you can do that and never come to him and get life. You can get as close to Jesus as the church and never reach him. In Mark 9, 14, 29, you remember after the transfiguration, that father and his demonized boy were halfway down the mountain and Jesus came. And here stood the rest of the disciples, besides the ones that were with him up there. And this man had brought his boy to them to be healed, and they could not. Now, they represented the church, but they couldn't handle it. And he said, I brought the boy to thy disciples, but they could not. How many did they bring their problems to some church, and the church fails to meet it? And the church today at large, uh, the professing church is standing before a demonized world, and the trouble today is we we can't get the devil out of people. And Thomas Aquinas is visiting the Pope one time, and as they walked around the gardens of the Vatican, the Pope said, Well, you see, no longer does the church have to say silver and gold, have I none? And Thomas Aquinas said, Right, but neither can she say, Rise and walk. You got the money, but you're not raising the dead and healing people by the power of God as the Lord did. I'm glad. I'm glad that that father didn't say, oh, well, I'm going back home with this boy. They can't do anything here. I'm glad when the church fails, and it does, Jesus is saying, bring him to me. I have never failed. Now, that doesn't excuse our, excuse our failure. Peter and John didn't fail later on with the lame man, you know, in that uh, gate of the temple. But if you have brought your problem to the church and the church is failed, get through to Jesus. Lord, I believe, that Father said, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, help thou mine unbelief. I've prayed that prayer many times. Sometimes when your faith flows, uh, at least say, Lord, I'm going to vote for it. This man didn't say, Lord, uh, uh, give me more uh, faith. He said, I'm going to vote for what little faith of God. 
do something about my unbelief, take your stand with what faith you've got if it's only as much as a grain of mustard seed. It'll move a mountain. But uh, stand with your faith. You can get as close to Jesus as being a preacher. Matthew 7, 21, 23 said that the judgment said be preachers. And this frightens me every time I read it. Lord, we've preached, we've prophesied, we've done wonderful works and cast out demons. And he'll say, depart from me. Now listen, did you ever think of preachers as being workers of iniquity? That's what he told his cousin. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Good enough to preach, good enough to prophesy, cast out demons, do wonderful works. And Jesus said, I never knew you. You can be the sixth place. You can be as close to Jesus as an inquirer or a seeker, like the rich young ruler. He was a seeker. He was an inquirer. He had manners and he had morals and he had money, but he didn't mean business. He wouldn't pay the price. Now, Jesus said, Him that cometh unto me, I don't know why cast out. He came, but he didn't pay the price. He wouldn't trust and obey him. Some people get as close as an inquirer, and uh, yet they're ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Many who join our church have never been converted. They're interested, maybe. They believed in Jesus to some extent. The rich young ruler did, or he wouldn't have come to start with. But not to the point of committal and obedience. They've never sold out. Have you sold out to Jesus Christ? Lock, stock, and barrel. He wants folks that have sold out. Not giving him a token. Sold out. So don't stop short of Jesus. Don't stop with the scripture. Don't stop with books. Don't stop with doctrine. Don't stop with the church. Don't stop with being an inquirer. I want to preach Sunday night to Lord Willing on the who what Christian. Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? It's all wrapped up in the who and the what. Who Jesus is and what he wants us to do. If you've got to meet that condition. How? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You don't have to go up to bring Jesus down. You, have, you don't have to go down to bring Jesus up. You don't have to go back 2,000 years or travel 3,000 miles to find him. He's right here. But you've got the mean business. And beloved, I stand on this Wednesday night to a crowd of church folks and say the most important thing on earth is to know you're in the kingdom and not just near it. You can be so near that folks can hardly tell the difference. My Bible says give diligence to make your calling and election sure. I believe in calling and election. I, I, I agree with any Presbyterian on predestination, but that's only one side of it. The other side's human responsibility, but they're both there. The Bible says, the Bible does not say as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. It says as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. You say, how is that? I don't know. And that's the way it is. That's both sides of the coin. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's a strange verse. And it says that the violent take the kingdom by force. That's a terrific verse. Taking the kingdom by violence. 
You've got to be so determined and set to get to heaven and to know the Lord that you go about it with a good deal of energy and concern. I always say that a Methodist thinks he's got religion, always scared he'll lose it, and the Baptist doesn't think he can lose it, but sometimes he's afraid he hasn't got it. Well, there's something to be said on both sides of that equation. We've got some folks who think they're saved and they're not, and some who are not saved and think they are. Dr. Campbell Morgan, I'm told by a friend whose father knew him well in his last years, was one of the greatest Bible teachers who ever lived. And yet all his life he, had, he was bothered about assurance. Imagine that. Great teacher he was. And Dr. Criswell of Dallas. I had read about this, but when he and I were in the conference together in Florida one night as we rode back to the hotel, I said, I've read that you were a preacher and couldn't get assurance of salvation. He said, yeah. said, uh, I'd preach in the morning, and the night I'd be on my knees praying, couldn't feel saved. He said, I had to get to the place where I took my stand on the word of God, feeling or no feeling. And I said, at the last great day, I'm going to say, Lord, that's what it said. I never have been able to make myself feel like I want to feel. But I'm standing on it. And I was glad to hear him say that. Alexander White was one of the greatest of Scottish preachers. Oh, what a man of God. And one day a preacher was visiting him, and this preacher told about another preacher who criticized Dr. White and said, I, I don't know whether that man's saved or not. Well, that was a terrible thing to say to begin with, and just as bad to relay it. But instead of Alexander White getting mad, he said to this preacher, My dear brother, I must ask you to go out and leave me alone. I must look into my heart. It bothered him. And I've heard, I, I don't mention the name because it might be a rumor, but one of our greatest preachers has not been gone long to heaven. He lay on his deathbed. He, some preachers came to see him. He said, Brethren, I want you to go over the plan of salvation again. Before I die, I just want to be sure I got everything straight. He said, it ought to be that way. Well, maybe not, but I'd rather see a person that's concerned about it that way than some of these folks who say, oh, nothing wrong with me, I'm all right. I don't, I don't need to get saved. One of the greatest character to me in the Pilgrim's Progress is Mr. Fearing. Alexander White has a series on the characters in Pilgrim's Progress, and it beats, it beats Bunyan. I think he outdoes Bunyan on those characters. And the chapter on Mr. Fearing, I read it every once in a while for my soul's edification. Mr. Fearing was scared all his life he wasn't going to get to heaven. Now, he shouldn't have been that way. I understand that. Yes, I know that. Yes. But he was. And he was bothered about it. But Bunyan says when he got down to the river... Said, I never saw the water as low as it was that morning. And he said he got across with his feet not much above wet shod. I like that way that old Bunyan but just barely got his feet wet. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious care subside. That's in one of our greatest books. You ever have a spell of feeling that way? Well, don't, don't, don't let it upset you and give it. 
because Alexander McLaren says there are none so far away from false confidence as those who tremble lest they be cherishing it. The man that's afraid he might miss it's got a pretty good chance of getting there. I'm more concerned about him than these folks that are flippant about it. And McLaren said some, of, some, of, some dear souls managed to distill for themselves a bitter vinegar of self-accusation out of grand words in the Bible that were supposed to give them the wine of gladness and consolation. And that's right, and ought not be that way. But your nervous condition can account for it sometimes. Your temperament can account for it. All folks don't have the same kind of temperament. And when you were born again, it doesn't change your temperament. It changes your heart. But if you're in a fast-moving kind, you'll likely go through life moving fast. And if you're a slow, pokey kind, you'll probably be that the rest of your day. But you can serve God whether you're uh, double speed or just creeping along. I wouldn't advise you to creep because try to get a little action into it a little better than that. But uh, the way we're made up, you're not going to change much that way. But God can use all those folks. God needs the slow folk to keep the church from going too fast and the fast folk to keep them going too slow. need both of them in the church. And we have to be careful, lest in trying to wake up some who are not far from the kingdom and yet not in it, we've got to watch that we don't worry some folks that are in it, but just barely in it, and not making much progress. There's such a thing as being not far from the kingdom and there's such a thing as being not very far in the kingdom some folks get saved you know and they're like the little boy fell out of bed and he said I went to sleep too close to the getting in place and a lot of people get saved and settle down for a nap the rest of their lives and they never get anywhere in the kingdom God must have a lot of mercy on that crowd that you take them to heaven because they're not doing anything so much and I get worried about them but I'll risk, I'll risk upsetting that crowd for the sake of the others. I'd rather make somebody uneasy that is saved because they will be saved anyhow if they're saved. And I've got them in anyway. I'd rather run the risk of getting them upset to get some folks in that are almost in and not quiet. So you see, we preachers are up against it, Dave. We've got two kinds of folks. And it's for these dear people, and some of them may be in here tonight, with lovely dispositions. And sometimes they act more like Christians than some uh, experienced Christians do when they get low. But the trouble is, they may be cultured, they may be active in church work and teaching a Sunday school class, and they may be deacons. And yet, almost in the kingdom. But if they died, they'd be just as lost as if they were a thousand miles from it. You see, there's such a thing as unbelieving belief and believing unbelief. A Christian may be saved, but in times of doubt, he may temporarily lose some faith, not be believing like he ought to. But that's one thing. But a Pharisee may be sound in doctrine, theologically fundamental, but never have heart faith. 
That was the trouble with the Pharisees. They never believed with the heart. Jesus said, you do all these good things, but their heart, he said, but their heart. That was the trouble. So I exhort you tonight, yeah, this Wednesday night, if you belong to either one of these places, if you think you're pretty good, and you, but you, you're not in, you may be as close as always, if you've never personally opened your heart to Jesus Christ and made him Lord of all, it's embarrassing to be in a church a long time and then have to go down and say, I've never been in yet, but I know of a lot of people have had to do it. Sometimes preachers. And uh, I stood right in this church some years ago and told about the Shantung uh, Revival. And uh, I believe it was in this church that a dear old lady who was a missionary and had gone to China to win the Chinese and had never been converted and she got saved over there. Bertha Smith can tell you about it. You know, Bertha was in all that. And she was here. She came up and said, I, I was that missionary. And I said, I want you to tell us about it. Now, it, it'd be awfully embarrassing for some folks to have to say, I just can't say that I, for certain. Now, you could be one of the other groups. You could have weak faith. And just because you didn't see visions and horses and chariots when you got saved, you'd say maybe nothing happened. Some folks say, I came down with a bunch of kids on Sunday morning on rally day and joined the church, and I don't know whether they got saved or not. Well, you don't have to go on like that. Why don't you say, Lord, if I didn't do it right back then, I'm still living, and uh, whatever happened then, I want to make sure, and tonight, tonight, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he rose from the dead. And then, as we want to emphasize, if I live till Sunday night, it must be with the mouth out loud visibly before men. And we just don't do that anymore in our church. I've traveled all over America, and in every place I've been, they said we never did it like that. We said, I wonder why. The people in here tonight have never yet, with the mouth, before men, like Jesus said, confess Jesus as well. And that's what it says in Romans, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, and in another place, whoso shall confess me before men. Before men. Shall be saved. And so it's a frightening thing, the possibility of getting so close. Back in the mountains, an old mountaineer had lived for years in sight of a great peak that rose up just opposite his own. Time came and went, and they put a highway up there. And they got the old man in the car and said, won't you go up and see? You've been looking at it from down here all your life. They got him up on top of it, and he looked all over the country. And he said, my soul... Just think, I've lived in a few miles of this all my life and almost missed it. Now you can live within sight of salvation, within sight of this blessed truth, and miss it. It has concerned me much in the past because I came as a boy. <clears throat> I didn't have a dramatic experience. 
a little bit like Crusoe, many others. But I had to take myself by the back of the neck and face this thing. And some of you may be able to do it. So don't say you haven't been told. And I don't know what kind of a proposition Dr. Gray will close with, but we used to sing, <clears throat> almost persuaded. Now they tell us that that's not what Agrippa said. The Bible scholars say that he said, they did not say, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. That the Greek says, well, something like, uh, so you think you'll make a Christian out of me? But that doesn't spoil this old song. I'm not going to bother about that. But what always stirs my soul, almost persuaded, harvest is past, almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost persuaded, <clears throat> cannot avail, almost persuaded is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost. But Lord, there's been many a soul sung while that old song was sung. And its theology is all right. I'm worrying about the Greek of that verse, the theology of that sound. So I beg of you tonight, dear friend, it would take a lot of grit and gumption or what have you and sanctified courage. You come down here and kneel somewhere and say, Preacher, you got me stirred up. I want to make sure. It's too important to take a chance. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I believe Jesus, the Son of God. If I knew how to believe any better, I would. Believe the Word of God. I reaffirm tonight my faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're honest in your heart, you know it and God knows it. It says in the heart you must believe. And if you are a nervous type and sometimes you're scared you're not going to make it, come down and confess any known sin in your life because sometimes that can put you in that fix. And then say, Lord, all I can say tonight is, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But I do take my stand with Jesus Christ. I want you to go out of here, out of here feeling better, but not just feeling, knowing better, and therefore living better.